Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. We live in a broken world, surrounded by broken lives. This brokenness is seen in pain, poverty and death around us. It drives us to find fulfilment, but no matter where we search, we remain broken. The Bible tells us that this is the result of sin. Sin is anything that goes against God who is perfectly just and good. Every one of us has sinned. But this is not the end of the story. God loves us so much and desires our restoration. He sent Jesus who died for our sins. And he gives every one of us a choice. I choose to believe. By his death I am made clean. I am a new creation. I choose to follow. I use my outward actions to show my inward faith. I choose to trust with my past, my present and my future. These are the four points. God loves me. I've got it wrong. Jesus died for me. I need to choose life. morning yes hello hello how are we all doing today are we good are we awake are we alive um what would be the best news that you could hear today if you could get some great news what would be the best news that you could get Uh, maybe that you've got a winning lottery ticket would that be the best news or could it be that your football team have accidentally not realised that they've got an extra 50 points and that they're top of the league. Would that be the best news? Uh, or maybe uh, that they've found a cure for baldness and, and all of that hair is going to be coming out again and it's going to be luscious and it's going to be beautiful, wonderful. What would be the best news that you could possibly get on a Sunday morning? We're just about to start today a brand new series called Four Points, which is what that video was all about. And the four-point series is all about the gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news. It's, it's the best news. It's way better than getting a full head of hair. It's better than winning the lottery. It's better than football. It is the best news. And every single week we're going to be going through these four points and it's going to be growing from week to week and it's going to be getting better and better. And so I want to encourage you at this point today to say, do you know what? I'm going to be here for all four weeks I'm going to encourage you that if you've got a holiday book for Disneyland, to cancel it. Because this is better than Disney. This is better than your holiday. This news is so good because it changes every single part of your life. So who is excited for this four-point series? Anybody? Yes, I'm going to encourage you to be participating with me so it doesn't just feel like I'm speaking. I think that you guys can speak out as well, have it more like a dialogue than a monologue. When you speak out, you encourage other people too. Uh, And so we're going to be encouraging that. If you're here for the first time, know that you don't have to be quiet, even though it's a cinema. Uh, But you can speak out. So we're going to start today, the beginning of this series, uh, week one, by looking at God Loves Me. 
And I want to talk about a question that I think every single one of us have. In fact, I think that not just every single one of us have, I think that everyone in the world is asking this question. And the question is, who am I? Who am I? And if you answer that question, it, it kind of feels like life just clicks. Like the struggles don't go away, the difficulties don't change, but you find an anchor within the middle of it all that helps you to get through everything. So think about this. I want you to think about all the different hats that you wear in life. I don't mean like snapback or beanies or like bubble hats. I mean like what are the different roles that you play on a day-to-day, on a week-by-week basis? For me, it would be uh, one of my hats would be I'm a dad. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a church leader. I'm a husband. I'm a son. I'm a brother. What would be your hats? What would be the roles? And as you think about those, think about which one if it was taken away from you, would damage you the most? Which one do you think, if you lost it, you just wouldn't be able to live without? And as you think about that question, that is like a bullseye question on where you place your identity, where you place your worth. And if you're a Christian today, the answer should probably be that I'm a child of God that my identity is that I'm loved by God. It's like we were singing that song earlier, you know, you're a good, good father, that's who you are. And I'm loved by you, that's who I am. Galatians 4.17 says, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I am a child of God. John 1.12, it says, if you believe and you accept, then you have a right to be called a child of God. Every single one of us can say we're a child of God. And the amazing thing about putting your identity in that is it's not flimsy, it's not fickle. It's the only thing that will never change. If you think of all of those other hats, that they can, they can disappear. Your job, you can lose. Your parents might pass away. You know, relationships shift. But being a child of God gives you an anchor that's firm in any situation that will never change. And I think that that makes you dangerous because that's, that gives you something which nobody can take away from you and which nothing can shift in your life. But I think all too often we, we choose to put our identity in lesser things. And there's all these temptations to put our identities in things which aren't as solid, which aren't as firm. And that's what I want to talk to you today because I think that there's three things that we put our identity in which, which are lesser and which aren't as strong and which aren't as firm. So we're gonna jump straight into the Bible. Uh, If you've got one with you, please do take it, do find it. If you've got your phone, that's fine too, or your iPad, however you roll, it's fine. We're going to look for a book called Matthew. It's one of the Gospels, and the Gospel means good news, you were listening. Great, and so we're going to jump to Matthew chapter 4. And this is like right at the beginning of Jesus' story. It's the beginning of his ministry. What's just happened is we have all of the stories about his birth and then literally the next thing that happens is he turns up and he arrives at a river and he says to his cousin, will you baptize me? And at this point in the story, it's like Jesus has done nothing. He's not performed any of those amazing miracles. There's been no water becoming wine. There's, there's no bread that's been feeding thousands of people. None of that's happened. Nobody's been raised from the dead. He doesn't have any followers yet. Nobody really knows who he is. He hasn't said any of his amazing teaching yet. And he goes along to his cousin and says, will you baptize me? 
And his cousin puts him under the water. And when he comes out, like the weirdest thing happens. A voice comes from heaven and it's like, Jesus, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy, 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 joy. I don't know about you, I would have been freaked out. Could you imagine if at our baptisms, all of a sudden, there was a sound, Joel, you are my dearly beloved son and you give me great joy, 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 joy. That would be awesome. And yet nobody in this story seems to be weirded out by it in any way. They're just like, oh yeah, this is standard. It's a little bit weird, but we're going to roll with it. We're going to roll with it. So this is how Jesus' ministry starts. I notice they've turned the microphone down because of what I'm doing. That's okay. I'm not going to take that personally. Uh, This is how Jesus' ministry starts. And then literally the next verse says this, and you can follow along with me. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. They've just had this voice doing the, you are my son thing. We, we went through that already. They've just had this moment. And already the next thing is, if. Already it's questioning, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want to tell you that the greatest temptations that you're going to face in your life, they're not temptations to do something or to not do something. They're temptations to not be who you are. Those are the most dangerous temptations you're going to face in your life. Temptations to choose a lesser identity. So we're going to go through three. And I think that this first one is one of the most serious. Because what the devil is saying is, if you are, then you will do this. If, if you are the son of God, then you'll perform. You'll perform because we start to believe that we are what we do. That we are what we do. That you'll perform a certain way, that you'll do the right things. You'll do the things that people say that you should be doing. How many people struggle with this? I think we have these kind of performance issues in all different areas of our life. And we have it in work that, that we try to perform a certain way. We have it in, in our colleges and our university and our studies. We have it in our, in our church and the way we worship. Think about it like this. If the way to know if you have a performance issue, a performance related issue is by how you see yourself on the worst of days. How are you when it goes wrong? How are you when you don't make those sales? How are you when you mess up the line that you're trying to say in your preach and you mumble your words and there's like all these people laughing? Does it affect you? How are you when you're praying when it goes wrong? Think of it like this, if, if on Monday you get up and, and you read the Bible and you have a coffee and, and you pray and you listen to like elevation worship. You leave the house and you're pumped and you're full of the Holy Spirit. You're inviting everybody on your street to come to Easter Sunday celebration at Ivy Kingsway. You're buzzing and it's amazing. But then on Tuesday, the, the whole clocks change. It kind of catches up and you sleep in and you get up late. 
and you miss your quiet time and, and then maybe you, you, you do something in the day that you didn't want to do, you knew you shouldn't do, you look at something, you read something that wasn't right and you start to feel bad and then you don't talk to Jesus for the rest of the day. Maybe you don't talk to him for two weeks. Well, then you have a performance problem. You have a performance issue. Because what you're doing is you're basing your relationship with God, not on what he has done, but on what you're doing. You see, it's not that I do my best and then God loves me. It's not I have to perform so that God will love me and be close to me. It's that God has already done everything that needs to be done because he loves you. That the performance that was needed to happen happened 2,000 years ago. And there's nothing else that we can do to add to this. Do you know, I think sometimes we think of ourselves more like employees than sons and daughters of a living God. We're more like employees. You see, a son, they don't, they don't do jobs because they're worried about their performance. They, they do things out of an overflow of their heart. And also a son, it's just a completely different relationship. Like if you imagine your son at breakfast spilling the Rice Krispies, you wouldn't be like, that's it, Cole. You're fired. Your P45 is in the post. I've told you too many times now, you need to get out. And if you get out nicely, I'll even write you a good reference so that if you find another family, maybe that That's madness. We wouldn't do that, would we? Because we understand that it's not about activity. It's about relationship. That our relationship with God is not based on our performance. It's based on his love for us. We get this messed up all the time. Think of it like this. I heard a, a pastor speak a little while ago and he would say that his reviews with his team, he would only ever ask them one question. One question. It wasn't how hard are you working? It wasn't have you met your targets? It wasn't how many people have you reached for Jesus this year? He asked them one question. He'd say, in your heart of hearts, when you reflect as deep as you can, do you know that you are a son of God? And do you know that you are a daughter of God? Do you believe it? And, and as we reflect on that, some of us would be like, yeah, well, I mean, I looked at that thing that I shouldn't have looked at and um, I, I try to read the Bible most mornings. Like, I'm, trying, I'm trying to be a son of God. I'm, I'm trying to be a Christian. And that answer is not actually weird for us. It, it should be weird, but it's not weird because so many of us think this way. But it doesn't actually make sense. You see, my dad, his name is Mark. And, and if you came up to me and said, hey, are you Mark Jeffrey's son? And I said, well, I, I did look at something that I shouldn't have looked at. I've been trying to read my Bible. I mean, I, I, I guess I'm trying to be his son. You'd be like, bro, you're an idiot. Like, that's weird. Why are you talking like that? Because it's not about what you do. It's not about your performance. It's about your surname. It's about your relationship. You know, there's nothing more that we can do. Our identity isn't in our performance. And so Jesus says, he says, you know what? I know where my identity is. I'm a son of God and he loves me. 
Me and Emma, we have this really funny thing. And to be honest, it's more Emma than it is me. But after an argument, you know you have that time where you're like, you want to make up. We'll sit there and she'll turn around to me and she'll say, I love you, but I also like you. That's nice, isn't it? I love you, but I also like you. And what she's kind of saying is, I have to love you. I don't always want to love you, but I have to love you because Jesus tells me I have to love you. And I made a vow that I have to love you, but right now I like you again. And some of us, I think we think like this about God. Like God, he has to love us because he's God and God is love. But I want to tell you that God doesn't just love you. He likes you. He likes you. When he looks at you, his heart is full of gladness. His heart is full of excited. He is excited to spend time with you. He is a father who doesn't just love you, he likes you. You know, the king, imagine the king, the only person who can knock on the king's bedroom at three o'clock in the morning and ask for a glass of water is his son. Like, that's totally cool. If the king's son knocked on his door and said, Dad, I need some water, the king would absolutely get that water for him. Now, if it was a guard who was employed by the king, fired. He'd be fired. He would not be coming back. But when you understand that, that God is your father and that he loves you and he likes you, you can bring the smallest of things to him the stuff that isn't important to anybody else, you can bring it all to him. And he wants to help you. He wants to show his love to you. Because when he looks at you, he says, this is my dearly loved son. This is my dearly loved daughter who brings me great joy. Verse five. The devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. So the first temptation that Jesus had was performance. The second temptation was publicity. Do you know, you are not who people think you are. You are not who people say you are. We live in a world where everybody is talking all the time and everybody is talking about you. And if you live for other people's opinions, you will have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. You will have no stability or security because when the crowd is for you, it's like you're walking on sunshine. And when they're against you, you'll just be in the bottom of the lowest pit. You'll begin to believe your own hype when everyone says you're amazing. But then when they say you're not, you'll believe that too. I think that this is why we live in this, this Instagram filtered world. You know, we live for clicks. We're more worried about what everybody else thinks than what God says. You know, we create these false appearances because we're more concerned that people will love a fake version of us than the fact that there's a God in heaven who loves the true version of who you are. And so if you go into our schools, you see people with eating disorders, you see people who are struggling with their bodies and their self-image, you see people who are, who are cutting their wrists and they're saying, I'm just not good enough. And they don't realize that there is a God who says, I love you. 
You were not a mistake. I made you like that. I love you as you are. I love you for who you are. You don't need to worry about your publicity. You are not what people say you are. The first book of the Bible is a book called Genesis. And right in the very beginning of the Bible, there's this story about God creating humanity and he places them in this amazing garden. And he has this intimate relationship with them and he gives them one rule. He says, the only thing I don't want you to do is to eat this fruit from this specific tree. And, and, and if you know the story, they break that only rule. And then there's this sense in which God has a right to really do whatever he wants. Like he has created them and, and, and he has made them, but then they've turned their backs on him and rebelled against him. And, and the Bible says that he comes into that garden. There's this beautiful picture of, of God pursuing us, even in our sinfulness, even when we turn our backs on him. God walks into that garden and he has a question. And he calls, he says, Adam, where are you? The word Adam means humanity. Humanity. Where are you? And I think about this. God is God. So he knows everything. And a question needs an answer. And God is demanding an answer. Where are you? Now, I don't think that he was fooled by Adam hiding behind a bush. I think he could see his foot sticking out the side. But God was sharing this this deep expression of his heart. Like, where are you? Where are you? And then he follows it up with a second question. And he, Adam is, is naked and he's, he's hidden in a bush and he's put these fig leaves on him to hide his nakedness. And, and God's second question is this. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you weren't okay? Who told you that you weren't good enough? Who told you that you were condemned? Who told you to believe your own hype? Who told you that you're better than everybody else? Who told you that you're worse than everybody else? Who have you been listening to? Who told you that you're not worthy? That you're not enough? God is speaking to them and he says, do you know I can see you? Hide in there. I can see you as you are. I made you. I know you. You don't need to choose a fake, false identity. You don't need to believe your publicity because you are my son and I love you and you make me glad. We are not our performance, we are not our publicity. And we are also not our possessions. The devil then comes back and it says, The devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give it all to you, he says. Everything. If you will kneel down and you will worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil went away and the angels came and took care of Jesus. So many of us, and I think that in my generation, this is especially true. 
we kind of get muddled up about our possessions and our pleasures too. It's, it's like we, we live for our five senses, the things that we feel, the things that we see, the things that we touch, that, and, and we find joy and we find worth in all of those things. And this is true for our pleasures, it's the same for our possessions. And, and for some of us, it's like we have the sense in which we are not equal if we don't have that same car or that same house. Or, or we're not cool if we don't have the iPhone 7 yet and we've got a Nokia 5510 in our pockets. It's, and I think that that's a problem. I think that's a problem. If, if you're finding your identity in the stuff that you've got, that's a problem. And, and it's also, it's psychologically, it's crazy. I mean, how many of us, it's like in, in July, we're like, oh, my life will be complete if I get this new iPhone. And then 12 months later, we're, we're on Mizuma Mobile and we're selling it. It's like we understand that it's fleeting, that possessions come and they go. I heard somebody describe living possessions as being like digging a well and you're searching for water, but all you find is sand. And so you just eat that anyway. You know, it wasn't what you were looking for. It doesn't satisfy you in any way, but it's like I found sand, so I'll eat that. It's kind of like humanity's on a conveyor belt and we're looking forward and we're seeing this thing coming and so we work and we sacrifice and we wait and then one day it finally comes and it's like, is this, is this really it? Is this it? But then we look back to the conveyor belt and we see something else. And we're like, yes, that's it. And so we sacrifice and we wait and we work and it comes. And is this really it? And there are people who spend 90 years just going through that cycle, waiting for that possession that's going to complete them but it never will. It never will. Because you're not what you have. You're not your possessions. They don't make you. They do not define you. And I think that this is a problem that we have as individuals. But I also think that we struggle with this stuff as a church. You know, I can say I'm not defined by my possessions. I'm not defined by my publicity. I'm not defined by my performance. But as a church, sometimes we can be. We can say, we know we're a good church because we're reaching lots of people. We know we're a good church because we're a big church. And we define ourselves by our numbers or by our performance. I know we're a good church because we serve the city well and we're doing refugee stuff. And we find our worth in our actions. And we can say, we know we're a good church because everyone loves us. And wherever we go, people are raving and they're celebrating Ivy Kingsway and they're saying, hey guys, you're definitely in the top one church in this country. And I hear that like, honestly, without lying all the time. Not lying. Um, and, and we can define ourselves by what people think about us. And I want to tell you today that as a church, we're not going to be defined by these things either. Because these things are fleeting and these things will change. And I want to tell you as well that I had a, I had a, a meeting on Friday. And this meeting was with the, the owners of the cinema, uh, Cineworld. And it was in London. 
and it was a Skype meeting. And they were talking to us about our presence here in the cinema. And they were saying about how many seats we take up and, and, and everything we're doing. And, and this isn't the local guys, this is the guys in London. And they were saying, if we costed it out, we can get eight pounds a seat. And that's a lot of money. And they said, we just wonder whether we can make some extra money here. And so we've had this conversation and, and what they've kind of come back with is they've said that they want, to, they want to offer us a new contract. And that contract is going to involve what can only be called a ludicrous a cost extra. And, and as we stop and we look and we think, we realize that the reality is we're not going to accept that. And the truth is as well, we're not the cinema. You know, we're not these comfortable chairs. We're not these rooms. We're not these four walls. And I want to tell you that God is in this. You know, I think it's so significant that we have spent this year praying and saying, God, we want acceleration. We want to see you do more than you've ever done in our church. We want to reach more people than we've ever done, not because that's who we are, but because we're joining with you and that's who you are. And so when this happens, we can only find it as consistent. And so we, we can only be excited. And I want to tell you now, like this happened on Friday. I don't want to come and, and wait until I've got all the answers because I don't. I've only got one answer. Because my identity doesn't come from stuff that's fleeting. My identity doesn't come from things that change. My anchor comes from the fact that I am a son of God and that I am loved by Him. And I know that whatever is happening, He is working on our behalf. And I want to tell you something today, that God does not have grandchildren. God does not have grandchildren. You are as much sons and daughters as anybody else here. You can hear God just as clearly as I can hear God. God will speak to you in the same way that He will speak to me. And so this is a journey that we're all on. And we all want to be praying and saying, Lord, what is, you, what is your will here? What are you doing, Dad? You know, wh where are you taking us? And I want to hear what God says to you. I want to hear how He speaks to you. I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like, but I can tell you exactly who's going to define what it looks like. So for the next few months, we're still going to be here. There's not going to be a, a short, sharp change. You don't need to worry about next week. You don't need to worry about Easter. We've still got all the same plans. We're still going to be going big. We're still going to be going loud. We're still going to be reaching more people than we've ever reached. But come the summer, we've got some exciting times ahead of us. Because there is more ahead than there is behind. Because the greatest days of this church are not behind us. The greatest days are what we're walking towards. We just praise God for what He's got coming up in this church. We want to be a church that is defined by love. And that's why when we go, we're going to be like, how can we bless this cinema? How, how can we give to them more? How can we celebrate them better? Because we're not upset. We're not hurt. Because we're defined by love. And so we celebrate. 
and we push forwards. And some of you here today, you might be like, that doesn't make any sense. And it doesn't if you don't know Jesus. But what Jesus has already done defines everything that we do. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago shapes every decision that we're going to make from this point out. Every step that we have is defined by Jesus' cross. And that's why this is the perfect time to be talking about the Gospel. This is the perfect time to be talking about this series. Because if you don't know it, God loves you. And He wants the best for you. And He looks at you and says, this is my child and you bring me joy. I just want to finish today by speaking to some of you who maybe don't know this. Maybe you don't know this Jesus. You, you, you haven't heard these four points. That God loves you. That you've made a mess of things. That you've, you've made decisions that have separated you from God. But that God sent His only Son to die so that you could have a relationship with Him. And that you've got a choice to make. In life, so much changes and so much is out of control. But there is an anchor and his name is Jesus. And that anchor is what gets you through. That anchor is what gives you hope. That anchor is what gives you purpose. And so I'm not afraid of today. I'm not afraid of tomorrow. I'm not afraid of my eternity. Because the Bible tells me that God loves me so much that He would send His Son to die so that I would not have to perish, but I could have eternal life. The next verse is even better. It says, He came not to condemn us. He came to love us. God loves you. I want to give you an opportunity today to respond. And this might be the first time that you've ever made a decision to follow this Jesus, to say, I believe that He loves me. This may be the first time to say, I want to change where I place my identity and I put it in Jesus. Or it might well be that you did this a long time ago, but you've been far away for a while. And I want to say today can be a day when you can make a decision. So I want to be found in Jesus. I want to place my identity in Him. So I'm just going to ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your head for a moment. This is a decision for you to make with Jesus. And if you want to say today, I want to know that I'm a child of God. I want to be a child of God. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to put your hands up. And as you put your hand up, somebody's going to come round to you. They're going to place a book in your hand and they're going to pray with you. One, God loves you. Two, You've sinned and that just means you've done things that are wrong and have separated you from Jesus. Three, Jesus died to repair all of that so that you could know your Father again. If you want to say today, I want to be a follower of Jesus, I want to make a decision, just please raise your hand wherever you're sitting. Just raise it nice and high so that we can come and give you a book and pray with you. anybody today okay 
we're going to we're going to spend some time now in worship and for me worship is like is like a resetting thing if anybody's ever worked in IT or if anybody's ever had a problem with their computer and they've gone to somebody in IT they'll always tell you the same thing Whatever the problem is, you have a broken screen, they'll still tell you the same thing. Have you turned it off and on again? Worship is a little bit like resetting our systems. It's like a recalibration. It's bringing us back into sync. And it's, it's an opportunity for us to speak out and say, I'm going to place my identity in God. Because I am found in Him. It's an opportunity to say, do you know who I am? I am your child. And I'm loved by you. So please stand with me right now, if you can. And I want to encourage you as we go into this time, not to just speak the words, not to just get into the rhythm or the routine, but actually search deep and ask yourself that question that I asked you earlier. Do I know this? Do I really know this? Or am I placing my identity somewhere else? And if you are, let's just take this moment and say, I am going to recalibrate and reset this system because it's all about you, Lord. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.